Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 86, and I'm drinking Pusser's Rum. With each episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur, you should expect that I'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I chose Pusser's Rum for this episode because I've been reading a lot about rum lately, and the British Royal Navy played a role in popularizing and spreading rum around the world. They served it as a daily ration to sailors for more than 150 years. Pusser's rum is the official recreation, or rather continuation, of that very same rum, and therefore worthy of an episode all its own. Note, for the tasting, I have the Blue Label, which is a reduced-proof version, but it's the only expression sold in my home state of Oregon, so that's what I'm tasting. And this bottle of British Navy Pusser's Rum is the original Admiralty Rum. It is the blue label, so noted because it has a blue label. It's also distinguished from the original, which they now call Gunpowder Proof. The Gunpowder Proof is 54.5% ABV. This version I'll be tasting is the U.S. market version, which is 42% alcohol by volume, making it 84 proof, and it retails at $27. It's sold in a clear glass bottle. It's got a long neck that you can carry with one hand, which I like. The neck is wrapped with a gold foil, blue and red uh, neck wrap with the words Pusser's Rum, circa 1655. On the front, there is a notable white British flag. It's technically an ensign, then the name British Navy, Pusser's Rum. The back label has this to say about the proof. It says, The superb rum in this bottle is blended at reduced strength in accordance with Royal Navy Admiralty regulations for rum, in effect at the time of the daily rum issue was terminated on 31 July 1970. This proprietary blend has been aged a minimum of three years in once-used charred oak bourbon barrels and chill-filtered to further enhance its flavor and smoothness. So I'm excited to try this rum, so let's go ahead and open the bottle. There's a uh, little pull strip. Get the... Oh, halfway did it. See, I broke it on me. <laughs> let me. Let me see if I can get this off. Maybe. Now, nope, gonna need a tool. I feel like I famously struggle opening bottles sometimes and I bent the uh, fingernail back trying to get the plastic off. So I pulled out my pocket knife and uh, wrestled with the plastic. But now we're ready to pop this, uh, what appears to be a real cork stopper. So here we go. Oh, that's a good pop. I'll be tasting with a clean Glencairn glass, as always. It's a whiskey nosing glass, ideal for seeing a spirit, smelling a spirit, and tasting a spirit. So let's give it a pour. And in the glass, it's clear, dark amber color. And on the nose... Oh, that's rich. That's nice. Hang on. Definite 
molassesy rum scent to it. There's also a fruity sweetness like dried fruits. Hint of caramel and some spices. Oh, it just, it smells full-bodied. So on the palate. It's got some spice to it, some heat. Let me try it again. Yeah, the spice, the heat, that's not just the ethanol. It does have a, a mild, spicy burn as you finish it, but it is nice and complex, full-bodied. I pick up some of the char of the oak barrels. This is an aged rum, so it's been in contact with wood for quite some time, three years at a minimum, they say. It's also a blend of rums that are pot-stilled, so there's more things that come through the distillation and give it flavor. I'm going to come for one more taste. Quite nice. It's, it's less intense of a burn, but there's still a spiciness to it. A little sweet, a little smoky, charredness flavor on the finish. Okay, let's dive into the history. First, the name. Pussers is a bit... Odd, I'll say. It's actually just a corruption of pursers or the provisions officer aboard a ship. Pusser has been a British naval slang term for purser for a very long time, and it therefore is fitting for the brand name of this rum. Pusser's rum, as a consumer brand, comes from the British Virgin Islands, made using the original recipe, suppliers, and equipment of the British Navy. It is the creation of a Canadian born U.S. citizen an entrepreneur with a degree in aeronautical engineering who made a fortune developing defense systems after being wounded while serving as a pilot in the Vietnam War with the U.S. Marines, who then went on to sail around the world for five and a half years with a chimpanzee and a cheetah as crewmates. This exceptional man is named Charles Tobias, and we have him to thank for Pusser's Rum today. But first, let's delve into the non-commercial history of Pusser's Rum and that 1655 date on the bottle. In 1655, the British captured Jamaica from the Spanish, who had colonized it as part of the wave of conquest that swept the Caribbean and the Americas. Jamaica already had sugarcane plantations, and rum was being produced when the British acquired it. From a naval perspective, keeping sailors hydrated was a top priority, and beer or water were the common drink at the time. But rum had advantages over these on sailing voyages. Conditions aboard ship were tough, and alcohol had long been recognized as a safer alternative to water. Beer had been the drink of choice, but would tend to spoil in the tropical heat or go sour, and the fresh water would become foul with algae or other contaminants as well. Rum, however, would keep well on ship. It took up much less space to carry and was plentiful in Jamaica and therefore cheap. It could also improve with age. Rum therefore replaced beer for British ships leaving Jamaica. Sailors, as a way of keeping their spirits up and softening the harshness of their duties, were issued a daily ration of rum, referred to as a tot. And initially it was a lot of rum, drunk neat. 
While portions were mostly left up to the ship's captains in the early years, the sailors had been consuming a gallon or more of beer a day, and rum, though doubtfully consumed at anywhere near this quantity, quickly replaced beer. In 1731, naval regulations defined the sailors' ration at one-half pint of rum two times per day, indicating that the daily consumption of rum had spread well beyond Jamaica and the Caribbean, covering the worldwide Royal Navy fleet. For clarification, that's 16 ounces of rum, equating to over 10 full shots a day of rum that was at least 55% ABV. This is also the origin of the term proof that I detailed in episode 51 on Plymouth Gin. But in general, a small measure of gunpowder would be soaked in the rum. If it didn't ignite, it was underproof. If it flashed white hot and burned too quickly, it was overproof. But if the powder burned as if it were dry, that was proof. And just about 55 to 57% ABV. So, 10.5 shots a day of 110 plus proof rum would keep sailors at their duties and help them endure rough seas but drunkenness predictably ensued. It did not make for good discipline. Enter Admiral Edward Vernon, referred to by his men as Old Grog, for a waterproof cloak he always wore made of a fabric referred to as grogum. It was a mix of silk, mohair, which is the hair of an angora goat, I had to look it up, and wool. Admiral Vernon was concerned for the welfare of his men and also wanted discipline aboard ship. So he issued Captain's Order Number 349 on August 21st, 1740. This instructed the daily tot of rum to be mixed with one quart of water per half pint of rum. He also suggested that good husbandmen could purchase limes and sugar to make it more palatable to them. It was also ordered to be mixed on deck under the watchful eye of the lieutenant so the men would not be cheated and it was to be mixed in a small cask used for storing fresh water called a scuttlebutt. The purser would be responsible for collecting the rum from the ship's stores and was thus referred to as the purser's rum. Purser became corrupted to pusser, and hence we have the name for the commercial brand. The purser would also announce up spirits, calling the men to receive their rations, which was served twice a day, first around 11 a.m. This diluted rum was dubbed Grog, as the men initially resented the dilution of their tot and named it after Old Grog himself, not in a flattering way. Despite their objections, this became the formal way to serve the daily tot navy-wide in 1756. The tot was reduced in quantity as the decades went on, cut to a quarter pint in 1824, and then to one-eighth pint in 1850. This remained the daily portion until July 31st, 1970, when the British Royal Navy ended the daily rum ration. The day became known as Black Tot Day. On a modern ship, the dispensing of rum to sailors didn't seem to fit like it did in the centuries past when men sailed on tall ships. But through both world wars, and even after man first walked on the moon, the British provided rum to their sailors daily. When Black Tot Day came and went, the Navy was left with a fair amount of rum. The rum had always been stored in earthen demijohns of about 1.2 gallons, wrapped in a wicker basket. 
Some was still kept aboard ship for special occasions, but the majority of the remaining stocks were eventually put up for auction and bought by an investor who then sold them, mostly to the military. Some of these original demijohns are still around today as collectibles, but fetch very high prices at auction. Enter Charles Tobias. Charles Tobias was born in Toronto, Canada, but came to the U.S. on an athletic scholarship to the University of Southern California, where he earned two degrees in aeronautical and mechanical engineering. Wanting to stay in the U.S., he was drafted by the Army, but joined the Marines instead, backdating his enlistment papers three days prior to the Army draft notice so the Army couldn't come after him. This was during the Vietnam War, and his father had encouraged him to serve in the U.S. military if he wanted to stay in the U.S. So he did, and he served two tours in Vietnam, being wounded in his second tour. While rehabilitating, he had plenty of time to think, and he was inspired with an idea on how to defeat surface-to-air missiles. So after healing and being discharged, he went to the CIA and eventually got a contract to start a company to do just that which he did, growing the firm he created to some $100 million a year in sales. After 15 years or so, he sold it and retired to a life at sea. Charles Tobias spent five and a half years circumnavigating the globe twice on his 51-foot sailing yacht, the Mar. He recounts the story in an interview that during his sailing adventures in about 1976, he had a very important pump fail aboard his boat. On his way out of Gibraltar and route to Barbados, he radioed on the emergency frequency. A nearby British naval ship instructed him to come alongside, and Charles scrambled up the net ladder hung over the side of the much larger ship. He was up with the captain of the naval vessel, who says to Charles, I have one too many of these demijohns of Pusser's rum here. I'm going to give you some to go back. Charles says he also had a glass of the rum that was used for medicinal purposes. And about an hour and a half later, they were on their way with the part for their pump in better than a gallon of this original naval rum that had been stored at least six years because Black Tot Day had been the beginning of the decade. Over the next 14 days, Charles and his small crew of friends, plus a cheetah and chimpanzee, crossed the Atlantic, and drank the whole Demijohn down. I don't think they gave any to the chimp or the cheetah. Charles made a movie of his sailing voyage called The Way of the Wind that saw decent distribution in the late 1970s. I haven't found a place to stream it yet, but would like to watch it. Charles, being enterprising and with time and apparently money at his disposal, plus a bravado, if you will, decided that he'd like to bring Pussers back. So he used some connections he had with U.S. Marines and over the course of two years got the British Navy to give him Pusser's rum. They also gave him clearance to use the white flag, the ensign, on the bottle, plus the name British Navy Pusser's rum. They also gave him sources for the rum and samples to match. Blending notes and instructions for manufacture weren't provided, but the ratios eventually were sourced, along with some details for aging. In short, he got an ingredients list, but not really a recipe. Subsequently, Charles engaged E.D.N.F. Mann, a firm from London who had been the British Royal Navy's brokers of the rum, to help track down the details of production in order to replicate it. This was all a real feat, as the British Navy didn't really know how to do this. It was not a sale of pussers to Charles Tobias. 
He simply asked for it and knew how to ask and who. Charles did say he had a copy of his audited personal financials with him to prove to the British Navy that he wasn't just some huckster. After the Navy had given him pussers, Charles said he didn't want to get something for nothing, so he voluntarily offered to make significant contributions to the Royal Navy Sailors Fund. In the first year, 1980, Charles and Pussers donated 10,000 pounds. Since then, they've donated close to a million and support other charitable, sailor and naval-focused organizations. So from a timeline perspective, it was 1979 when Pussers Rum was acquired by Charles Tobias and 1980 when the first bottles were shipped. Ten years later, he sold the rum business to Jim Beam. This was because from the start, Charles wanted Pussers to be more than just a rum brand and had apparel and restaurants to support the brand. The sale to Jim Bean was done in part to avoid legal conflicts with owning the rum brand as well as bars, but that may not have been the case entirely. Jim Bean had been Pussers' distributor and had wide reach. Jim Beam wasn't a good steward of Pusser's brand, though, and sales dropped to a low of 1,400 cases. Charles Tobias and partner Jim Jackson bought the brand back from Jim Beam in 2002. They nurtured the brand in just two years. Case sales were back up to about 20,000 annually. The current CEO of Pusser's, Gary Rogalski, joined Pusser's in 1997 and worked as the U.S. operations manager until he was handed the reins of the company in 2013 and became CEO of the rum brand. The headquarters were moved from the British Virgin Islands to Charleston, South Carolina, USA. Sales figures are hard to come by, but a decade ago in 2011, they were reported to have sold about 30,000 9-liter equivalent cases. Based on a LinkedIn post by the CEO, the brand wrapped 2021 with a record sales year. So they're doing well. So now let's talk about how it's made. First off, production is a bit of a secret. The rum is a product of Guyana and is a blend of five or six rums made in Guyana, including those distilled at the Port Marant Distillery in Guyana with their famous double wooden pot stills that were first put into service in 1732. These two stills have copper tops, but the sides are built like barrels or casks, made of heavy wooden staves, though replaced and repaired over time, have most definitely seen decades of batches of rum distilled within. The stills are heated through direct steam injection. As such, the stills lend a unique flavor to the finished spirit. Rums from these stills and others are aged for a minimum of three years in charred oak barrels, mostly ex-bourbon barrels. They're then blended by Demera Distillers Limited in Guyana, who owns and operates the wooden Port Marot still. Demera Distillers Limited also handles bottling for Pusser's rum. And that's about all we know about production. Now on to cocktails and consumption. Try mixing some grog if you like, but the trademark cocktail for the brand is actually trademarked, and it's named the Painkiller. It was invented at the Soggy Dollar Bar in the British Virgin Islands. Made with four parts pineapple juice, one part coconut cream, one part orange juice, then two to four ounces of Pusser's rum with ample ice. It can be a potent drink. So much so, in a rather sexist and old-fashioned way, the brand's bars in the British Virgin Islands used to decline serving the four-ounce version to women. 
In December of 2021, Pusser's announced they were introducing a canned, ready-to-drink version of the trademarked painkiller. So in summary, what do I think of Pusser's rum? It's got great flavor. It's a nice, amber, well-rounded, aged rum. And this is very different from a, a white rum, something that's essentially a new-make spirit. This is a blend of old rums, and it's got such history. It's real authentic history. It would seem as if it's just marketing ploy on the face of it, but digging into the history, it's all legit. Charles Tobias actually got the British Royal Navy to give him Pusser's rum, tell him how to make it, how they were having it produced, and what ratios and blend, who they were buying it from, all of these details, they were very forthcoming with just giving him the brand. They didn't sell it to him because they didn't have a way to sell sell it to him. And I don't think they were looking for a sale. It was just some American guy <laughs> that shows up over in uh, the UK, meets with the second sea lord, who was the guy in the British Navy in charge of things, and basically says, yeah, I want to make the rum. I want Pusser's rum. And after a little bit of negotiating, they said, okay, and ta-da, here it is. That, frankly, is amazing to me. And it's a faithful recreation. They referenced old samples that were in museums and around to make sure that they were getting it right. As part of the first batches, Charles Tobias talks about having flown all around to the different distilleries that were making it and using a mass spectrometer to, (laughs) to chemically analyze the rum to try and get the match right. You can rest assured that this is the real deal. And especially if you can get a hold of the full proof, the gunpowder proof, which is 54.5% ABV, that's essentially the current version of what they were serving to British sailors just a little over 50 years ago. As they say, Pusser's Rum has a liquid history that is rivaled by only a few. That's going to do it for this episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Show notes are on liquorinthecoreconnoisseur.com. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. The show is also on social media. Facebook and Instagram are where I'm most active. I want to thank all my listeners. Just today, I surpassed more than 10,000 total downloads for this little podcast. In just over a year and a half, I've found an audience or an audience has found me. And this being the 86th episode, I've been fairly consistent, and I really want to thank my listeners. You, the person hearing me speak right now, you're part of what kind of got me to a bit of a milestone. 10,000 total downloads, that's rather impressive. It doesn't really mean anything. This is just a hobby for me, kind of a side hobby. I get to hold my New Year's resolution to drink more, but it's rather significant, I think. that's A a lot of people have spent a lot of time listening to me ramble on about various liquors and liqueurs. So I thank you for that. And I intend to continue this. So if there are spirits you would like me to taste in future episodes, please do reach out. And as always, thank you for listening.